This is Wayne Jurnell, editor of Theory and Research in Social Education, and this episode of Visions of Education features a TRSC published author. Enjoy. You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. Michael, yep. I have a confession. I'm in. I'll hear it. You know, we're supposed to be doing like historical thinking and historical reasoning. I really feel inadequate in understanding the history. I know there's that, his, you know, the past is a foreign place. I feel like it's just, I can barely understand people who are in my own context and like their motivations and reasoning. And sometimes I feel like when we try to do historical thinking with students, I'm like, oh, the industrial revolution was happening at this time. And I'm like, yeah, that's like one big thing. I just feel like inadequate to really understand because they didn't even talk the same as me. They usually had like different ways of speaking and different customs. It's so much, it feels overwhelming to me. That's what I'm saying. I feel a little overwhelmed by historical thinking. It's a big task. It's kind of like you're trying to understand a waterfall, but all you can get is like a little cup of right. water to, to, I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, all I get is like the uh, waterfall, like the, maybe like the boundaries of it. People tell me the boundaries of the waterfall. So I get like the big things like the okay. revolution is happening or, or these are beliefs about gender. And, and even those things are usually like way more complicated. Right. Yeah. What I have time to go into with my students and, and not the same for people in different locales or towns or, or regions. It just, it, I've always felt like I don't know if I can do it justice just by with the resources I have. I feel like we need a whole semester to get into one context. Right, right. But typically, like, obviously, like I teach a survey course that covers like 300 years. And so to be able to do that for that amount of time span, it seems to be very difficult. Yeah, I'm just kind of describing many different waterfalls that are just kind of flowing. And sometimes I'm going to skip over them. And I don't think you should go down waterfalls in barrels. Right. That's a um, ter- terrible idea. That right. was a thing, right? At some point. I I think someone had that idea and that was promoted in cartoons. But I also oh, I think... thought that was actually a Niagara thing. Oh, is it? They do yeah. that? I don't I think they do it that. anymore. I just remember the fugitive where like that increased people thinking they could jump out of waterfalls and just survive them. He did. He did in the movie, but that wasn't real. Well, a lot of it was improvised, but I don't know if jumping out of it. I don't know if you know this, but yeah, no, it's actually pretty fascinating. And I apologize for for going off on this particular thing. But yeah, no, it, it, the, the making of The Fugitive is a fascinating story in itself, which we like can we, never really get into in a history class. Yeah, I, right. I know people don't want to keep talking about, but I just have to confirm. So wait, he improvised jumping off the waterfall? No, no, just a lot okay. of it. A lot of the dialogue was kind of thought up on the spot. It was a fairly loose set, so to speak. And What's his name? Uh, Harrison Ford just got to wear comfy shoes. <laughs> so to ra- bring this back around, the reason I think historical thinking is so hard is also because I think it's so hard to teach about the present, right? Like to teach students context in the present we live in is also oh, yeah. very hard. We're absolutely boiling things down to like 
the ideally the essence of it acknowledging that it's much more murkier well we hopefully we acknowledge that it's much more murkier than we can possibly possibly imagine you wouldn't drink the water right <laughs> well do you think let me ask you this do you think that that sourcing historical documents helps you to help students think through like content and misinformation and all the stuff they see online today i mean are those skills uh, aligned or linked so Okay, so when we source documents today, I feel like like we give kids a bunch of documents to kind of like mess around with. And so I don't feel like we we don't open like the pantheon of like sources that they we don't open up the entire waterfall to them. We mm -hmm. kind of give them a couple different ones that we've hand selected. So it's probably doesn't give them set them up for like civic. I mean, we can probably do better with that. Like we can probably do better. We also probably could do better in explaining this if we just brought on a guest who studied it. I hope so. We do have I a guest, so correct? Wait, yes. this is friend of the pod, right? Friend of the pod, of course. We would like to welcome back Dr. Sarah McGrew. Welcome. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having you back. Like, we were so excited <laughs> for, for the first back. time. Thanks for, you get to come back again. Back. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So you haven't been on uh, our show for about uh, 110 episodes. Do you mind just giving the people a, a review? about who you are and what is your background in education and how is Maryland these days? Sure, Maryland, Maryland is humid at the moment, but we're surviving. So I'm an assistant professor in University of Maryland's College of Education, which is a change since the last time I was on the podcast. But I started out as a high school history teacher. I taught high school world history at a school in Washington, D.C., whose mission was to support students to be active participants in their communities and in politics. So I tried to teach world history content and historical thinking, although I'm sure I didn't do a great job, but I also tried to help students make connections to the modern world and to see how the knowledge and especially the skills that they were building in my class could apply to their lives outside the classroom and especially to their lives as citizens. I did my PhD at Stanford where I worked with Sam Weinberg and the Stanford History Education Group, and I helped start and co-directed uh, the SHED Civic Online Reasoning work which focuses on how students learn to evaluate information in the place we know they're really likely to look for at the internet, right? That's what I talked all, all about the last time I was here with you guys. And in some ways for me, it's really great because that's a way for me, for me to try to do a better job doing what I tried to do as a teacher, right? Like help students build so skills like sourcing, but also help them hopefully apply sourcing to other contexts um, where they can be more critical civic actors. So if we were to give you a soapbox, and this is an allusion to a, your last episode. I mean, could you tell us a little bit about the, and just very little bit about the, the portal, the online civic reasoning that you uh, worked on, that you launched? Sure. So civic online reasoning is a collection of assessments and lesson plans, all freely available, just like all of Shag's materials um, at core.stanford.edu. And it's just materials to help students learn to think more carefully about especially the social and political information that comes across their, their digital devices, right? So like, how do you effectively evaluate posts on social media or websites and helping them learn more effective strategies to do those things? I just want to say that as a side note to these projects, I think one thing that the Stanford History Education Group did really well was put together a website where people could find stuff and they connected their research two lessons in a way that I think often doesn't happen in research. And part of that is probably having a, you know, numerous doc students and people who are working on it and contributing to it. And that continued with the civic online reasoning project. And um, it actually 
was a little bit of a, a source that I really looked to when I was working on, I haven't mentioned this, but I have a website that I've on project I've been, we should talk about it on the podcast sometime, but Michael keeps telling me I'm not allowed to. I created a site and we use that as a model to think about how do you both do the theoretical academic work that we do, but also provide lessons that potentially teachers would use. So just as a plug, I think we need more of that in academia, right? We need that connection between theory and practice that teachers actually use, because I suspect Shag and Civic Online Reason actually get a ton of hits and a ton of views from teachers. Yeah, they do. And I agree. It's a model that we we need to see more of. It's a pretty intimidating model to try to follow as, as somebody just starting out, but absolutely. Yes, I do have a much inferior project, so that that does follow pretty well. But we'll talk about that on a later episode. On this episode, we would like to first congratulate you on once again being published in Theory and Research in Social Education. Congratulations. Thank you. So your article, your new article, which is published in 2022, is called Bridge or Byway, Teaching Historical Reading and Civic Online Reading in a U.S. History Class. Can you tell us about this project? Sure. Um, so as we've started to talk about, I think there's a lot that needs to be in place for teachers to feel ready to teach students to evaluate online information in schools, right? They need district support, they need opportunities to learn themselves. But in this study, I tackled two things that I think could facilitate integration of online reasoning into schools. So first, teachers need to feel like they can actually integrate these lessons on online evaluations into the content and skills they're already teaching, right? Like we know that teachers have tons to do already and that this can't feel like some random add-on or something that they have to fit into what is an already packed curriculum. But most of the studies that already exist on teaching online evaluations, including some of my own, do just that, right? They just throw in kind of add lessons in online evaluations into a class without carefully considering how to make connections to other course materials and course goals. So my first goal in the study was to investigate how to actually integrate online reasoning into the curriculum of a history class. And my second goal is really just a sort of more specific aspect of that. I wanted to explore connections, as the title of my article implies, between historical thinking and online reasoning, right? And that's because scholars who advocate for disciplinary literacy for historical thinking argue that the goal of teaching historical thinking is not to prepare a bunch of mini historians, right? The goal is, the goal of teaching something like sourcing is to better prepare students for the kinds of, of critical thinking that they need to be citizens. So this study was, I think, one of the first to really investigate whether we could make that work, right? To say, like, we've been saying for 30 years that, that the historical thinking prepares students to be citizens and to, to think outside the classroom, but, but what does that actually look like? Um, so I worked closely with a U.S. history teacher to integrate a series of lessons in online evaluations into his history curriculum. So Mr. Clark, as I, as I call him in the article, embedded a lot of historical thinking. He did a really fabulous job teaching historical thinking. He had the waterfalls figured out into his classes. And we hoped to use students' historical reading, especially their sourcing, as a bridge to help them learn to evaluate online sources. So we worked together over the course of a semester to design and teach eight lessons about online evaluations. And this article really focuses on what we learned, right? Ways that historical thinking served as a bridge to teaching online evaluations, but also some of the tensions that surfaced and how we tried to negotiate those. So just to tell you a little bit about some of those. 
So the, the first thing that, that we had to negotiate over the course of the lessons was just negotiating the content focus, right? So the civic online reasoning materials as they exist all focus on social and political issues, right? Like, and, and teach uh, online evaluation skills. So one of the main skills that we teach in the lessons is lateral reading, right? Where you investigate an online source by seeing what other web sources like Wikipedia say about it. So, and we ask students to practice those evaluation skills in Mr. Clark's class by investigating historical questions, right? Instead of social and political content, it needed to be historical to have a place in his curriculum. But we also needed to surface enough web content that was actually interesting to evaluate. So we ended up using historical questions with contemporary ramifications instead of kind of strictly historical questions. So questions like, was the Constitution a revolutionary document? Or should statues of Thomas Jefferson be taken down? So these questions were, you know, evaluative. They were kind of socio-historical about, about how we interpret history and how those interpretations are impacted by our present political context. So was the Constitution a revolutionary document? <laughs> sure. <laughs> it depends. It depends? <laughs> it okay. depends who you ask. Yeah, and there's many different websites, right? You can imagine that, like, the Heritage Foundation has a very different opinion about whether the, the Constitution was revolutionary than, like, truth out. Uh, and so we explored things like that in, in class. Revolutionary for who, Michael? Right. Ooh, for whom? Oh, dang no, it. No, I, I don't actually know if that's... I don't know. <laughs> I almost had a good point and grammar got me. <laughs> so, I mean, at first, I appreciate that the study makes sense for, you know, a problem that it's easy for us as academics, right, to sit back and think of our research agendas and come up with a study that's very important. Civic online reasoning on its own is an important topic, but does not is it's difficult to to implement in schools obviously and so you were working through that so what did you find as you as you tried to navigate these spaces yeah so we ran into some some other tensions right especially between the ways that we frame historical thinking in school and then the way that we wanted to teach online reasoning so just a couple of those things right like first of all we just used the language of sourcing with both kinds, right? Like you source historical documents and you source online. And that seems really simple, but I think just the reminder to students that like, this is a stance that you should have towards information that if you come across something you don't recognize, like you need to think first about where it's coming from. And we know that most students don't even do that, right? So that in and of itself, I think was really powerful. Um, but we learned that we needed to be a lot more explicit about some of the ways that the internet is really different than the way that, that we present historical documents in school. And that sounds really obvious, but we learned a lot as we sort of opened up these lessons and explored them. Um, and one of those is just helping students think about what makes an online source reliable, right? So like when we give students historical documents, they have the source note usually laid out in front of them. So all of the clues they need are right there, right? Like they don't have to think too much about like what credibility is and what kinds of clues they should go searching for. But when they're trying to decide if the website is reliable, right, they're, they're kind of on their own on the internet to go find clues about whether a source is reliable. And students, we learned, tended to focus kind of one-dimensionally on an organization's or an author's perspective. So students would just go and be like, oh, I found out that they're liberal, like it, it, it must be bad. And then they'd be kind of done because we hadn't sort of expanded their vision about what it meant for a source to be reliable. So we learned that we needed to be a lot more explicit about what authority and expertise are and why those things matter. And then we, we learned that we needed to be a lot more explicit about the importance of making 
quick decisions when they were doing online evaluations and of not being afraid to like leave sources behind to decide that they were sketchy and they should just move on, right? Because again, with historical sources in school, there's a finite number of documents and students kind of are stuck using like pulling all of the details and evidence out of the documents they have. And of course, that's not true on the internet, right? Like if you find a source and it seems a little bit iffy on first on first pass and investigating it, then you should just move on and try to find a stronger source. But we, we learned that we needed to have really explicit conversations about that and how to make decisions about whether sources were like good enough to use or, or pretty iffy. Yeah. And that was a point that I, Michael Caulfield really helped me with. He came up with the SIFT moves, four moves, and I, we can link an article. There's a good New York Times piece explaining his thinking. I always remember when he pointed that out and it lines well with what works with civic online reasoning, right? But I think we're so used to thinking, spend lots of time with the sources till you figure it out, right? Like that's what research is. And so it's weird. It's like counterintuitive to tell someone, actually, you need to abandon this if this like doesn't pass the smell test almost, right? Like right off the bat, like if you just, or if it just clearly there's not enough information there, don't interact with the social media post, don't like it, don't retweet it, like move on, avoid however you, the post makes you feel because you just don't have the information for it. Right. And I think what helped me in like in in switching my thinking to that was thinking about the fact of like the Internet, the, the resource that the Internet is draining is our time. Right. Like mm -hmm. our time is a, is a very valuable resource. So to, we shouldn't invest time in resources and sources that are even remotely iffy. Right. We should go find stronger sources. I think Indiana. Nope. Indiana Jones's dad said it best when he said, let it go, Indiana. He's talking about the grill. <laughs> Sorry, I just thought I could make a lot of Harrison Ford references for this podcast, if that is okay. You're just... I'm impressed. I have no. like zero pop, pop culture knowledge. So. Oh, my pop culture is only Harrison Ford. <laughs> only the viewers can decide whether we should give our attention to that reference by Michael. Um, so I think, I mean, to just to kind of sum up what one of the interesting things I think we found is that some of those tensions that I was just describing, right, aren't inherent to teaching historical thinking and online reasoning. They sort of exist or came about because of this really scaffolded way that we tend to teach historical thinking in schools with document sets and source notes and, and really curated materials. And I, I want to be clear that I don't think there's anything wrong with that approach, right? It's what I did as a teacher. It's what I try to teach my pre-service teachers to do. But I think we need to consider how to move students beyond it, right? How, to, how to, scaffolding is meant to be removed over time, right? And to ask students to analyze historical sources in less and less curated environments. Clark Chin and colleagues called or argues, right, in a recent article that we often build epistemically safe environments in school for students, right? We keep them in these in these kind of curated bubbles and that that doesn't prepare them for the world outside school very well. And I think this article is kind of a nice example of that in action. So how was the student experience for these lessons? Yeah, good question. So I, I didn't, I mean, so the, the, the big story is, right, that like the lessons were successful in helping students learn to evaluate information. So they, they grew significantly from you know, a pretest to a post-test. So that's a, a good thing, right? Always like we taught things and students seem to have learned. Um, that's always a happy outcome. And I think students were really engaged, right? By like, by having their Chromebooks up and being able to actually investigate these historical questions on the internet, right? Like being, being taught explicitly to evaluate information in a place where they spend a lot of their time outside of school and sometimes in school. And that seeing, again, those connections between historical thinking, like, 
there's a reason that we spend so much time talking about sourcing in this class. It's because we think that it can be useful outside the classroom. And I think actually showing that to students was really engaging for them and empowering, right? To, to see that there's, there's real motivations behind what we're doing in history classrooms. I think, I mean, like the, the way that students are going to encounter history in the future is likely going to be on the internet, right? Like when they're outside of school and just like scrolling through social media or hear some like wacky thing about history, like they, they, they're likely to either see it on the internet or turn to the internet to try to figure out what's true. So I think it is really important for history classrooms to, to think about that and to hopefully help start to equip students with some of the skills that they need to, to find accurate information about murky, murky subjects. Well, and of course, one thing I worry about is just how, you know, algorithms function in social media spaces too, right? It just shoots the most, you know, quote unquote engaging, but oftentimes that's the least factual or the most emotional. And so it's the easiest to react to. So they're just, students are put in like a bad position for evaluating information and not just students, we all are, right? What, what else do you think coming out of the study, what else do you think we need to explore or understand or try to figure out as educators to help students, you know, not only be able to source documents and and find accurate information, but to then, you know, be citizens who can make decisions on that information? Yeah, it's a huge, a huge problem, right? And one that like, this is one, one very small study, one, one small contribution to that, although I think we learned a lot. Um, but clearly, there's tons more work to do. And I think this is just like a, a, I think a shows us that for researchers, especially, we need to continue to investigate links between historical thinking and its application to students' civic lives. Like whether it's evaluating online information like it was in this case, or whether it's, you know, some other aspect of civic life that we're trying to prepare students for. Again, I think it's really easy to like pat ourselves on the back and say like, we're teaching historical thinking and surely those skills must, must transfer outside the classroom. And I think they do, but it takes some work. And so we need to keep investigating the links between other disciplinary, other forms of disciplinary thinking. Of course, historical thinking is not the only form of disciplinary thinking and online evaluations. So I think, you know, the study showed what I think we all expected that the transfer of historical thinking isn't direct or simple. And it uncovered some ways that we could adjust the ways that we teach historical thinking over time to make that transfer a little bit more possible. But we have a lot of work in front of us. We don't want them all just to be tiny historians, as you said earlier, right? No, no we need some historians, but but not all. <laughs> Michael likes to envision small archaeologists. So I'm sure tiny historians uh, fit, fit with that. Because they all have their little elbow patches. Oh, for <laughs> sure. For sure. They're very cute. So what advice do you have for educators who are wanting to do this type of work? Yeah, so first I would say just consider taking and making time in your class to teach students to evaluate online information in the first place. You know, we have a lot of research, including what I talked about at the last time I was on the podcast, that students of all levels really struggle to evaluate information and need more support from their teachers. So, and they spend so much time online, more and more time that they really need support. So if you can make time in your class for it, I would really encourage you to, to take that on. And that it's fine to take it on teaching it in little bits, right? And that like making connections hopefully to your content or to the disciplinary skills you already teach can hopefully make that feel a little bit more doable. It might not be seamless. And I'd encourage you to be honest as we learned in the study about the ways that the internet is really different from the, the ways that we usually present information in school. But we all have a lot to learn. And I think, I think 
we know that students can get better with some kind of focused instruction from their teachers in this area. Yeah, I think that's really great advice. And we we have to do the work. We really don't have much of a choice and it's just increasingly important. I know I always found historical thinking as, you know, a big topic, as I mentioned earlier, but but something that I could do to help students thinking. But I think the connections you're making just makes it really, I think, pertinent to the current moment. And so thank you for doing that research. Would you say the lack of civic online reasoning is a clear and present danger? I think it is. Yeah. I mean, I think there's there's lots of threats <laughs> to democracy, right? And but I think our individual ability to evaluate information could certainly needs to improve and certainly wouldn't hurt democracy more, right? If we, we all need we all need to get better at evaluating information, especially when it's on contentious, you know, issues that make us make us angry or sad uh, or excited. And we really appreciate your serious answer to Michael's movie reference from the nineties. <laughs> See, I didn't even get it. Oh, it was a pop culture knowledge. It was another Harrison Ford. I was gonna try to work in Sabrina, but um, it this just made more sense. I apologize. <laughs> well, Sarah McGrew, we were so appreciate you coming on the podcast today, sharing your new research with us. I think that teachers will be fortunate. Is there anywhere online that that educators and scholars can go to learn more about the work you're doing? So the best place to find the civic online reasoning materials for teachers is still cor.stanford.edu. That's where all those free lesson plans and assessments are. And as well as a whole bunch of videos about effectively teaching and learning with civic online reasoning. So that would be my my first recommendation for teachers. What about your own work and your articles? Do you have those housed in a place or do they just check your university page in Google Scholar? Yeah, those are good places to look. I'm not fancy enough to have my my own website yet. Okay. Well, I was able to find all your articles, so I think you're doing okay. No need to build a fancy website. (laughs) So thank you so much. And again, thank you for joining us today. And we hope to continue this discussion online and in other spaces. Thanks for having me. All right. At the Visions of Education podcast, we're all about sharing the learning. If you're doing something fun or creative in education, or you just want to chat, hit us up at Visions of Ed. We're on Twitter. And if you haven't already, Subscribe to Visions of Ed on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and anywhere you'd like us to be. And if you write us a five-star review, we will read it on the air. We promise you that is a solid source. We would like to thank Zach Seitz of Wiley High School and the University of North Texas for his editing skills. Zach you can Seitz. find me on Twitter where I spout misinformation to all the world at Dan <laughs> Kretka. And I'm 42. Thank you. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast. Signing off.